The epistle is written in the first chapter of Colossians, beginning at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here ends the epistle. The Holy Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the 25th verse. Glory, Glory to thee, O Lord. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to chest, test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Please this morning give us ears to hear what you have to say to each one of us. And we pray this in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, as I look around, I'll see that there are many here known to me. And many of you will know that my professional career has been as a lawyer. So it may not surprise you that um, I'm using the gospel reading from Luke to look at more closely. So if you'd like to uh, open that up, that uh, might help. And as I prepared and read through this, I was reminded of some of the reactions that I used to get from people when on polite social occasions, I was asked what I did for a living. And after a few conversational skirmishes, the body movements of the person I was talking to would start to change and I could feel something coming on. And it usually went along these lines. The person I was in conversation would say, you know, there's a question I've always wondered about and wanted to ask a lawyer. I hope you don't mind me asking, but how can you defend someone you know is guilty? Now, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question, and it's usually perfectly irrespective of anything that I might have said or explained what area of practice that I'm involved in. But I think that like many other questions, it often reveals more about the person who's asking the question. So the questioner is frequently not really listening to anything that you say, but is looking for an opportunity or an opening to tell you what they think. So on many occasions, I've just listened quite quietly while the questioner reveals their own prejudices and attitudes. Sadly, people are often quick to condemn and to judge 
without really very much information or factual knowledge upon which to come to that conclusion. But they remain blissfully unaware of what their question reveals about themselves. Now, carrying on on the legal theme, one of the first timeless rules of advocacy when you're in court was that you are always taught that you should never ask a witness a question you don't already believe you know the answer to. So in our gospel story today, the expert in the law asks his first question in verse 25. And he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus bats it back to him, referring to the law. And the expert in the law has his answer really off pat. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer clearly has no difficulty in answering this question. But we see that the expert in the law isn't really satisfied with this. He started out wanting to test Jesus, but so far he hasn't got much out of this conversation. He certainly hasn't got the satisfaction he was hoping for. So he goes a step further. And so he asks, and who is my neighbor? I don't think he's anticipating at this point that the question is starting to reveal more about himself and his concerns. You may remember earlier in Luke, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had complained to the disciples that they ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners, people who were unclean. Surely these couldn't fall into the legalistic definition of a neighbor. Was this the test that the expert in the law was considering? So what does Jesus do? He tells a story. The victim is mugged, beaten up, left for dead on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. The next two characters in the scene are for the expert in the law, rather people like us, a priest, a Levite, both people the expert in the law would be comfortable with, at ease with, easily falling into a definition of what he might think of as neighbors. But they show no love. The third character would quickly take the lawyer out of his comfort zone, a Samaritan. And we need to remember that the Jews and the Samaritans were implacable enemies. 
You'll probably remember that the Jews would go miles out of their way to avoid even walking through Samaritan country. And for us, just at the moment, it's perhaps all too easy in our time and place to think of people whose enmity is all too apparent. Did you vote in or out? What's your racial origin? Hatred has become stark and hard to cover. But it's actually the hated Samaritan who is the one who shows love. So if the lawyer thinks that eternal life can be obtained by doing what the law requires, then he probably needs to get real about what the law demands. The lawyer speaks about love, but actually he's concerned about who falls within the definition of a neighbor. And as we read in the passage about love, we hear that it's a costly love. It's an extravagant love. It's not a pound in the charity box, but it's a continual act of sacrifice. And that's the standard that Jesus tells the lawyer is the way. So when he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's looking like it's a very high standard of love. And Jesus tells the lawyer that this is what he must do. It's a command. So therefore it's something that we must do. We're to be broken bread and poured out wine for others. But the problem is that I'm probably going to need a major overhaul to become like the Samaritan, to love without prejudice, regardless of circumstances. The lawyer recognizes in his question that eternal life is an inheritance. Inheritance is a gift. It isn't earned by doing. So we can take comfort from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Paul gives thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And how has this come about? What have they done? Well, they've come into this inheritance through their faith in Christ Jesus. By God's grace, these have been people who have been rescued, redeemed, and had their sins forgiven. The good news of Jesus has come to them and freed them. And it's freed them to love. It's freed them to be able to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. And one of the signs 
that those people have truly been converted. Something has gone before them. Paul has heard of the love that they have for all saints. Something perhaps we should remember here. And it was a joy yesterday to be at uh, Brenda and Kenneth McRitchie's daughter Rowena's wedding. I was in the kitchen and I overheard a conversation that went on in the kitchen. And the lady who was involved in making many, many cucumber sandwiches for many people was said, please go now if you want to see the bride. And she said, I haven't come to see the bride. I've come to help my friend. I've come to do this for Brenda. And I thought that that was just a beautiful sign of how we are to be for one another. Lives of service and love for the saints. And as we know, as we'll have had in our notice sheets given out today, there are many ways we can show the reality of the love that we have received by serving one another at St. Andrews. There are so many needs and so many things to be done. So as we end, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will help us to be your people in this place, free to love and serve in the way that you have loved us. Stir in us all goodness and desire to serve one another. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.